Alright. Uh, today, question and answers. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think it's uh, on, on, um, on uh, Wednesday Bible study, we mentioned something about uh, uh, moralistic therapeutic deism, which um, I thought fit, would fit well today uh, in, our, in our study. Uh, but uh, thanks. Uh, it's good to see everyone here. Uh, some new faces as well. Oh, do I have to? Uh, oh, this one? Yeah. All right. You know, Faith Lutheran Church in Moore Park, California, we te- technologically, we're probably like top. Top two percent of the LCMS. <laughs> I'm dead serious. We, no one does like we do, um, which is um, something to. Um, I'm not sure be proud of. We're not arrogant, but definitely be thankful for. <laughs> um, I know Jeff. Jeff does a great job, and I I love uh, checking out material. It works really well together, you know, just constantly. So it's it's a. Uh, it's been great, but uh, today, um, God's blessing to you at home and, and uh, wherever you are listening. Um, but today, uh, question and answers, uh, uh, before we begin with prayer, I uh, just want to kind of bring it out here. When my sins condemn me and I am doubting, how can I be sure of my forgiveness and salvation? And I think this is a question that a lot of people have uh, deep down inside, uh, which they dare not bring out because... It might show their own weakness or their own fragility or just, it's just not the pious thing to do um, to doubt what this is all about. So uh, that's what we're talking about today. I think it's, it's a very important topic here, uh, very umbrella, very umbrella and uh, so needed. So why don't we begin with a word of prayer? Oh, dearly Father, oh Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we know that our certainty and sureness, uh, our surety comes from you. Bless us, oh Lord, in your word. Uh, knowing full well that through your word uh, we have great comfort and certainty that indeed we are covered and redeemed and forgiven. Bless us in this word and may this word go well with us as we continue to grow uh, in your spirit of truth. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes. Uh, So, uh, when my sins condemn me and I am doubting, how can I be sure of my forgiveness and salvation? Uh, what does it mean when my sins condemn me? What does that mean? When my sins condemn me? Uh, when you're guilty of sin. Yes, uh, guilty to the point of no getting out of it. <laughs> Good. Who, who said despair? Uh, of course, Don did. I was about to write it when when he said it. I was going to say it starts with a D, ends with an R, right? Despair. What is despair? What is despair? Is that just um, hopelessness, right? Um, don't you hate when a marker doesn't work perfectly? Is that, is that just me? And then I put it back in the cup. Yeah. Like, shouldn't I throw it away, Marie? I should throw it. All right. But trust me, it'll be back in the cup eventually. <laughs> hopelessness. Now, what is... We could go down this path all the way, but... When we talk about despair and hopelessness, uh, when our sins condemn us, uh, what what does uh, what is that picture of hopelessness? 
Yes. Too far gone. The weight of sin is too heavy for God to bear, right? Uh, too heavy our sin is. Um, and who is, who is the one who is giving you this? This is the progression, right? And um, who is the one who is giving you the billboard signs of going down this road? Who is Satan himself, evil foe. This is his strategy. And what does he do? My sins condemn me, and when I am doubting, right? The greatest weapon that the devil has is for you to doubt God's word. And this is what we are facing in our sinful flesh, in our fallen flesh, is this uh, great battle with despair, hopelessness, um, doubt, um, and at the end of the day, worthlessness, wondering if we are worthy, right? Um, That's why when we preach the gospel, it's like Jesus died for your sins. He doesn't just die for some of your sins or the sins that you think are forgivable, but he actually forgave you of all your sins, like, do you believe that? Yeah, we, we say we believe, right? And we do. Uh, but yet at the same time, there are moments in life where we're like, hmm, I, I don't know, right? So today we're going to talk about assurance. That is the theme. Assurance and certainty. How do you know? And um, I brought this up on, Sunday, on Wednesday, uh, this prevailing thought here in our world today, especially in Christianity and in nominal Christianity, in a divine sort of belief, hazy Christianity, and even non-Christians who have this view of God, I think, in their own way. And it's called uh, moralistic therapeutic deism. Has anyone ever heard of that term? I know, it's just me. I hear it all the time. It's like Don, yeah, it's like Don talks about... Um, his numbers, and I never hear about those, but uh, uh, I always hear this, right? <laughs> um, but what is moralistic therapeutic deism? It, it is actually a, a movement right now of people's faith. Um, and this is kind of the five tenets of their faith. If someone could read that for me with a loud voice, who wants to read? I'll... Oh, it's Dave, would you like to read? Sure. All right. Okay, moralistic therapeutic deism. Number one, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Number five, good people go to heaven when they die. All right, so this is, a, this is actually a very common... Do, do, you see, do you see this in people that you know? Maybe at the workplace or maybe your acquaintances, your, even your own family or friends? Uh, any one of these, do you, what, what is something that resonates with you of those five tenets of moralistic therapeutic deism. Um, yes, Tom? Number five, people go to heaven when they die. Oh, that's right. Um, that's a good one. Um, and we'll talk about that. Don? None of them mention Jesus. 
That's right. Now, I know I was talking to Keegan the other day. Um, we are doing our, FaceTime, our weekly FaceTime chat, and that's what he exactly said too. Um, anyways, yeah, none of them say Jesus. Um, and uh, Tom said, number five, good people go to heaven when they die. Um, any, anyone else? What, what sticks out here of the five that kind of maybe will give you a, um, I've heard that before, or oh no, that's not it. Interesting. Yes. And what, what's happening now, even with the word, is that people are infusing that into the word. Right? They're, you know, maybe it's the culture or maybe it's just our own perspective, but oh, God, God is love. So because God is love, that doesn't matter anymore or that doesn't matter anymore. His word, that was just in that time and it doesn't relate anymore, right? A lot of people can do that. And I think for anyone who is, and this is a danger, I think for, let's say someone who is culturally Christian. Do you know what I mean by that? Um, someone who, who always says what, a cultural Christian would always say, we were brought up, we were brought up in the faith, but we haven't gone in forever. I mean, you could say that about anything, right? Culturally, whatever. But, but, uh, and in, in, in I think in those types of situations, a lot of times this moralistic therapeutic deism is easy to, what's, to evolve into if you're just culturally Christian, right? Um, and when we talk about moralistic therapeutic deism, especially number three and five, in terms of our primary question, uh, is there any certainty or assurance in questions three and five? Based on the moral, because a lot of people believe this. They, they really do. Like, they do. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you probably won't bring up this term with people. Do you believe in moralistic therapeutic deism? No. But they'll, they'll say, if you say this, the central goal in life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself, I mean, I don't know how many people would say that, but a lot of people would, right? Um, could be, yes, definitely. It's kind of down his um, alleyway, uh, per se. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, in a sense, the first two are really true. There is a God who created and ordered the world and watches over human life. <clears throat> who these people think it is is very different than who I think it is based on Scripture. So that, there's number one. Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other. And in a real sense, that's what the Ten Commandments are all about, how we treat God, how we treat others. Sure. Now, I think Don made, made the point that this doesn't mention the Christ. Okay. So there's the, the part that's left out. But the three, four, and five... Well, not true. The purpose of the nation of Israel was not to be happy campers in the wilderness. <laughs> it was to serve others and, and to lead others to uh, the true God. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, number four, God does not uh, need to be particularly involved in one's life, so come on. Only when we need him, Dave. Yeah. He's like uh, the genie 
in the bottle type thing. Um, But I think from a Christian point of view, number five is probably the one that is most confused or people blend that in together. Like, you know, like, uh, uh, like the other day at dinner, before dinner, when the kids were setting up the table, I was, uh, I was saying, yeah, what, what, what makes you Christian? And they said, uh, faith in God. And I'm like, yeah. Um, that's right. But, and I told them, a lot of times when people say that word faith in God, uh, what does that really mean anymore? And I know my kids, you know, as I said in the sermon this morning, very, if Abe is efficient, so he loves to just kind of keep it, keep it brief. But what, what does it mean when someone says, I believe in God? Like, what does that even, what does that really mean? Because, if this is the God I believe in right here, moralistic therapeutic deism, that, that faith in God is totally different than, than our faith when we talk about, what is your faith? It's Jesus. Boom. Right? Don, there's no Jesus in here, right? And, and this is, this is it, it is what he has given to us, or again, death and resurrection, my baptism, the supper, all the gifts that he gives. This is what is not here. And because that is not here... What certainty and assurance is given through moralistic therapeutic deism? Is there any certainty and assurance, especially number five, good people go to heaven when they die? Um, Am I good enough, Patrick? Oh, thanks. (laughs) I am good enough. I am. Not because of what I've done, but because of what has been uh, given to me by the good shepherd. Right? That's right. That's right. So this is how we are good. But again... When it comes to moralistic therapeutic deism, good people go to heaven when they die. Well, is Jeff, if he is number five right here, is he, what degree of assurance does he have? Um, what if Jeff said, well, you know, I, I'm a good guy, you know? Um, maybe, maybe he might start out with, uh, yeah, you know, 80%. Then as he lives his life, what happens is, oh, you know, I've been kind of, yeah, 70 Wait, is 70? That's too high, right? 40, and then 10, and then Nancy would say none, right? At the end of the day, there is no certainty and assurance at all. See, this question, when my sins condemn me and I am doubting, how can I be sure? Bible study on Wednesday, we talk about bullseyes, right? How are you sure? How, what, is, what is the bullseye? of your certainty and assurance. Is it number five? Is it number three? And this is, I think, very important for anyone, especially uh, everyone who is here today and everyone who is listening, is the importance of your surety, of your confidence, of who you are right now by what means. Um, Because at the end of the day, number five, I think a lot of people will kind of resonate with that. You know, they will go under the, the auspice of, oh, you know, I've never hurt anyone. I mean, it, you know, I'm, I'm not like people on the news, you know? Glad I'm not like them, you know? <laughs> I mean, I don't drive. I know all the car chases are always on. I'm like, how do they drive so fast? That's impressive. <laughs> I'd be like, if I was in a car chase, they'd be like, yeah, we're following a car that's going 60 on the freeway. <laughs> Why is it going so slow? Anyways, uh, but... Uh, uh, but 
Um, but what is it? What, what is it about certainty and assurance? And, and that's the key to life, you guys, is, is to know at the end of the day, when you take that last breath, bullseye. Not, you're not looking, you know, on an archery board. I went to archery camp in um, elementary school at Cal State Long Beach, the 49er camp. I don't know if you've ever been there, but they had archery. Right? We'd go out to the haystacks at El Dorado Park in Long Beach, and, and we would uh, shoot archery. I thought it was so fun. But when we talk, when we talk about a, a chart on the, um, the archery chart, is it called Target? Archery Target. We very well know there's only one bullseye, right? There's not like, oh, shoot here, shoot here, shoot here, and get bonuses. No, it, it's all about the center where you get the most points. Now, when it comes to our faith, you need to know, boom, immediately your surety and confidence. Because once that wavers a little, the floodgates open, and this is the road to which you will go down into. Right? And, and a lot of people will rest on their own, you know, the, in their own consciences. They will rest on their own, you know, spiritual platitudes. I've been a good person. I've gone to church all my life. And a lot of people will say that, even Christians. They'll be like, how do you know you're Christian? And, and a lot of people will say, well... I go to church every Sunday. And that's not what makes you Christian, right? What makes you Christian is, it's good, to, it's good to go to church. It's great to go to church because that's what we receive, right? The gifts of our Lord. But that doesn't make you Christian. And as Don said, there's no Jesus on here, right? And that's the key. Right. So what certainty and assurance is given through moralistic therapeutic deism? And the answer is, Nothing, right? All right. But as we talk about here in John 19.30, as we read this, uh, it is in your notes. Uh, The surety in Christ. Uh, John 19.30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Right? So before Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit, the Lord claimed that by his death upon the cross, the work of salvation was, was finished. Um, what does that mean when Jesus says, it is finished? Anyone? God's plan to reconcile man to him was accomplished. All our sins have been forgiven so that we can have a right relationship with God. All right, so... So the finishing work of Christ. So, so why, why is the conjunction but uh, so, so, uh, so dangerous? Jesus Christ died for me, but... Then you feel like you have to do something to help. What happens to the finished work that he had done? I mean, it is finished, of course, but for your faith. If this, if this comes into the equation, then his finished work is no longer, there's unfinished business to attend to. It's not enough at that point. And what happens to your certainty and assurance? It goes, it goes away, right? So when we talk about the, the, the sure confidence, if the subject to the verb... The subject to the verb, oh, this is a question I ask on the back. Why don't we just go there real quick? Or on the bottom right there, on the bottom. Why is the subject to every verb important in the surety of forgiveness and salvation? Why is the subject to the verb? Uh, Bob jumps. 
Subject is Bob, jumps is his verb. Bob is doing the jumping. Why is, when we talk about our faith, the subject and the verb of the utmost importance when it comes to our faith? Hmm? Who is doing and who is in control? Who is actually getting things done? Now, if Anthony says, how do you know you're a Christian? How are you sure of your forgiveness? And Anthony says, I, and his immediate answer is, I go to church every Sunday from, from my birth to my death. Every Sunday, I never missed. I never missed. I went. Um, in that statement, what is he saying about his certainty and, and, and surety? What is he saying about it? Yeah. Now, going to church is receiving the gifts. That's great, right? Uh, receiving the Word of God, Holy Spirit, all these things. But when it comes to your faith, the subject to the verb is very important. So when someone asks you, or when you ask someone, how do you know you're a child of God, or what makes you Christian? And they start out with I, that's when you bring them back to Jesus' verbs. Jesus does. Jesus finished. Jesus has done this. Right? Because once we depart from Jesus, then it becomes a moralistic, therapeutic-type deism where we say, well, I've been good, I've, been that, I've done this, I've done that. You know, I, I've tried to live good for other people, and, and that, that shows me that, that I'm with God. And, and there's no certainty and assurance in that, right? The subject to every verb is very important when it comes to your faith. So even for yourself, when we talk about John 19.30, when Jesus says, it is finished, this is your faith, right? This is your faith. It is finished. Your sins are forgiven yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Um, but pastor, I, I don't know. That one sin is still burdening me. Um, I just can't get over that sin. And, and this is, what, what do you think I would say next in those very moments? Would I say do better? <laughs> I mean, I could. I, I possibly could. But I would never say that, of course. What would I say? Pastor, my, my sins are burdening me. The weight is like the biggest boulder that has fallen on me, and I can't get out under it. I can't get out from under it. What, what do you think my next words will be? What? Yes. Yes, yeah, so when I'm thinking in those moments, I'm thinking, what? They are doubting their certainty and assurance. How can I bring them back to the assurance and certainty? And I'm not going to tell them, well, you've been a good person. You know, you've sinned and, you know, you, you've tried your hardest. So that, that's worth something, right? No, I, I would always bring them back to the subject of the verb, and that is it is finished. Jesus is finishing the work. And there your sins are forgiven. And that is what your faith is, right? Anyways, all right. So, 1 Peter uh, 1, 13 to 20. And uh, I know I didn't uh, type out all that for you. But here we see in 1 Peter 1, 13 to 20. Um, if someone could read that for me, if you have your Bible out, anyone? Oh, your iPad out. Yeah. yeah. 
therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if I... And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed for the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was forsaken, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. All right, so, so when we talk about, uh, and, and this is important, because I think when we read this text right here, it says what? As obedient children, verse 14, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You were called to be holy uh, in all your conduct. I think quickly we see what? If we take a snippet right there and say, okay, I got to be good. Like, I got to be holy. I got to bring this to the table. Now, if you read further along in the context of Scripture, it says in verse 16, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, what does that mean? You shall be holy, for I am holy. Um, and and this, is, um, this is the holiness of God that is given to you by his very work. You are holy by the one who has set you apart. That's what holiness means, being set apart. You are set apart by the one who has set you apart, and that is Jesus Christ. So verse 13, because of that, set your hope. What does it say right there? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So your hope is resting upon the free gift of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is your certainty and assurance. Once we depart from the grace of God and and bring ourselves into this equation, our hope is no longer fully on him. And when our hope is no no longer fully on the Christ, there the the cracks set in and the fractures, and they, you know, with a fracture, it it just continues like my teeth. You know, um, I grind my teeth at night. And my dentist, sorry, I know, why do you want to know this, right? Uh, but, uh, uh, but little cracks become, I've had one of those, and an implant, crown, everything, right? They're like, I wear that too. <laughs> I, I, I eat through the night guard, right? I grind through it. Uh, but uh, he, he always tells me, these little cracks will form bigger cracks, and your teeth will fall apart. And he always asks me, how old are you again? I'm like, 40. He's like, that's too young to have these things. I'm like, I know. Anyways, uh, but the point is here is that when we set our hope fully uh, on the Christ, this is the life of faith to the subject to the every verb. And, and here we see, uh, for you shall be holy, for I am holy, um, that we should, uh, and if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deed, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. Yes, conduct yourselves by the word of God, right? Because you are his, chil- you are his child already. How do you know? 
Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. Right? Your certainty right here, uh, St. Peter is saying, is, you, is in the Christ and what he has done as he has ransomed you by his holy precious blood. Right? That we do live in fear, in a sense of we see God's word, we know what we ought to do, and there when we fall short, we confess our sins, and the Lord is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and all of our unrighteousness. And this is the certainty that we have when it comes to when our sins condemn me. And I doubt uh, who am I as a child of God. We go to Christ. Right? What do you go to when you doubt? You don't have to get too deep. What can we go to when we doubt? Good? Oh, pious answers. Look at that. Right? Very good. Very good. The word, the prayer, all these things are centered on Christ Jesus. You know? Uh, and so many times when we're in doubt and when, we're, uh, when, when our sin is condemning us, uh, I guess I'll play devil's advocate. A lot of times we just look in the mirror and say, how much have I done? Am I a good person? Have I done what God has wanted me to do? And those things are good in itself, but that doesn't, that doesn't play in regards to your salvation, right? It's good to love God and love neighbor, but that doesn't save you, right? What saves you in those times of sin and doubt is Jesus. And why is it, why is it so important at the end of the day as we read all these things and we'll talk about verse 21 here. Why is it so important to hear God's word and to study his word? And that's at the end of the day your bullseye as well. Why is it so important that we hear God's word and study his word? What does it always amount to? What does the word of God always amount to? Is it because we read the whole Bible that we're saved? Is that why we're saved? Is it because we read it? Do you guys know how easy it is to, to flutter into the philosophies and the elemental spirits of man? Do you know how easy it is to flutter in that? Like, do you see, I always talk about vernacular and how you talk. I'm always listening to how people talk because that's where I see where their faith is. It's vernacular. It's how they talk. When you stop hearing God's word, what happens to how you talk? How your words come out? What, what happens to that? What do you think? I, you know, I look at it from the standpoint of we spend all day basically forgetting what's here. And so you've got to come back to it and remind yourself of what God has done. You know, that, that's why that um, chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 8 and 8 through about 10, I guess, is so important to me. Because it keeps telling me that it's a gift of God. That's right. You know, the, the, that is the deception, you guys. What, what happens is, oh, you know, not only does the devil say you don't have to hear the word, but the devil also shows you that the word is not what it really is. You know, sometimes people think of the word as something that I just have to do to be right with God. Or sometimes people just say the word is just information. And I already know that. So why do I have to hear it again? Right? There's so many nuances of how the devil works with that very word, telling you that, 
Oh, you don't have to go. I mean, you're good. You're a good person. Again, that is another deviation from why we need to hear the word. Now, what's happening when we hear the word? The spiritual battle, the defense is there with Christ. And there you hear the words in the midst of your convicted sin of the forgiveness of hope. Guilt is washed away. And that subject to the verb is the target. And that's Jesus. And this is the key to your faith, right? Um, it's not I have to get, you know, it's like Anthony, you know, uh, he woke up this morning, got the girls ready, right? Well, I don't know if you do that. Oh, you don't do that. Um, or, or Terry does that. That's right. That's right. Or got the boy at least ready and taken care of. It's, it's a tough job, right? Uh, I remember when our kids were young in Fort Wayne, dude, like it was, it was in the morning before we went to church. This was like eight o'clock church, I think. It was like, it was, it was a lot of stress to get every, some of the kids' daughter says, I don't want to wear that. I'm like, well, you already put it on. Well, you want to wear it different? Yeah, I don't feel like it anymore. I'm like, oh. anyways, but the point <laughs> is that you get to church and you're like exhausted and you just, oh. and then the kids, you know, do their thing and, and you're distracted and, and, uh, and, and there at the end of the day, you know, it's easy to deviate from what is why you're there, you know. And when we co- go to church and we hear God's word, there we are pointed back to the bullseye that we missed all throughout the week. You know, we're, we're, we're shooting the yellow, we're shooting the white, we're shooting the black, right? On the, on the, I don't know which one's worse. I think it's, or actually missing the target is the worst. But we, we, miss, the, we miss the bullseye, right? And that's why this is, this is our faith. And that's why we preach what we preach, as the word says. You know, I could, I could give you a preaching about how to be a better Christian. I could do that forever. But when it comes to your surety and conscience and, and your certainty, that's what it will not bring to you. Because after a while, if that's the sermons that you're hearing from me, at the end of the day, Marie, if I say, how are you Christian? You will say all the things that you've done. You won't say Jesus. Boom. Like, it should be just like breathing. Jesus, right? There's no, there's no other subject but Christ. Because that's what you heard and received time and time again through the very word of God. This is your surety and confidence. This is the job of the church. To give you that confidence for your soul and the surety of your faith, knowing that, boom, Jesus, Christ, word, sacrament, baptism, Lord's Supper, these gifts that are given to me by his grace, which deems me his own, and I am certain of that, I need to hear it and receive it. This is what is happening here. So, as we see in verse 21, Oh, I should be wearing this. I don't know why I'm holding it. Um, who through him? Jeff is going crazy. He's like, why isn't he wearing the mic? He should be wearing the mic. Surveillance at all times. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Verse 21. Your faith and hope are in God. Now, as I said about my kids, our faith is in God. Now, that faith and hope of course, is in God. But who is this God? The one true God is the one who sends us Jesus. Our faith is in the sent one, Jesus Christ. The Father from the Son to the Holy Spirit. There our faith and hope is. And we need to hear that. Because you and I very well know that after we leave church, we go out to the world and trust we're being taught in so many different ways. Whether we know it or not, bad things, good things, we're being taught. And I guarantee you this, I don't want you to experiment with this, but try not coming to church for a month or two. 
<laughs> Hypothetical. <laughs> I guarantee the way you speak, the way you think, the way you trust will go down this path. And you might not even know it. That's how subtle it is, right? The word is everything, and that word is Christ. That's why we do what we do. Pastor, I, I already know the gospel. Why do you always preach that? Can you preach something else? And my answer is, no. <laughs> I can't, because this is everything, right? This is everything. This is what we're preparing for. It says right there, uh, what does it say in, in verse uh, 13? It says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right? I mean, this is uh, not only his coming, but also his final return. That this is what we're preparing for. And how are you prepared? Your answer is Jesus. Right? And how do you know that? Because you heard it, you received it, and the Holy Spirit has given you faith in this very word by his very word and sacrament. Right? This is the church's call. This is my call, right? I can't fix you. All I can give you is Jesus, and that's everything, right? Um, so important. All right, uh, Colossians 1, 13 to 14. Uh, it says right there, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins, right? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When Jesus purchased your sin upon that very cross by His body and blood, His work is finished for you. Like right now, you have eternal life. Right now, you are forgiven of your sins. Right now, you're a child of God. You're not trying to get there because you're already there. How do you know? Because of the subject and the verb. Right? If that, subject changed to, if that subject changes to Brent, then he'll never know. And he'll always run that race up that mountain. And what happens? He thought he got there, but then he sees this bigger peak. And <laughs> he's still traveling, and he sees a bigger peak. And he's like, what do I do? And there you're in despair, and you say, I'm not good enough. And I've been there myself. I'm just not good enough. Everyone else here in this, not this church, but in the church I went to, they look so perfect. What's wrong with me? I'm not good. I try to be good, but I fall short of my sin. I guess I'm just not Christian. And see right there, that's, that's the danger. It's all, it, it's all on me rather than Christ himself. Um, okay, so as we continue to the back here, I know there's a lot of stuff here. Luther once said, the only way to drive away the devil is through faith in Christ by saying, I've been baptized, I am a Christian. What is it about that? He says I, but what is it in that I where we see the grace of God? Faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. That by the gift of Christ who gives me my baptism, I am Christian. Now, what is Luther saying right there? He is saying the bullet point is what God has given to me. From the fruits of his death and resurrection... There he gives me the means of grace in the sacrament. Because he rose from the dead and ascends to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, today as we feed upon the true body and blood of our Lord, there we know he is present with us. This is not just a hallmark feeling that God is with us. No, he is with us in service by his word and sacrament. And there we receive that very word for what? The forgiveness of our sins. Baptism is not your choice. 
Baptism is given to you. That's another way, uh, again, sorry, there's so much to talk about this. But when it comes to the supper, when it comes to baptism, if we're on that plane of, I did this, I decided on my baptism, then soon enough you'll see that whole subject become your faith. I came to Christ. I decided on him. I give all glory and honor to God in the supper. Right? And for us, when the subject of the verb is Jesus, it's Jesus died for me. Jesus, he forgives me of all my sin. Jesus gives me my baptism for the, for, for the forgiveness of my sins. Jesus gives me his very own body and blood in the supper for the forgiveness of my sins. And therefore, I have life eternal and salvation. And this is vastly different than someone who says, I've done this. I've done that. And how that continues to trickle down at the end of the day to this inevitable end of question mark and despair. Right? The goal of the church is to give you the bullet, the, the, the bullseye, right? There's no one A, one B, and one C to this subset, right? Boom. All by the word of the gospel and what flows from that gospel. All right. So the surety and the sacraments we see right here. How are you sure? As Luther would say, I am baptized because God is the one who calls us in our baptism. We see all these texts right here. I know we're running out of time. Galatians 3.27. 1 Peter 3.21, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of our Lord. So through his resurrection, through the gift of baptism, uh, there we know that we are saved, right? Um, I would, my younger self wouldn't have said this. My younger self would say, baptism doesn't save me. What are you talking about, right? Um, no way. That's, that's just kind of a church thing. Or other people might say, well, that's what I've done. Um, no, that, doesn't, that surely doesn't save me, right? But when we look at Scripture, it, it says it right there. Like, how do you know you're saved? God has called you by name and you are His, Isaiah 43, Matthew 28, right? Um, and this is all by the gift and promise of our Lord. As you take the supper time and time again, what happened in the Old Testament with the Israelites? They were rained down the bread from heaven to give them food for the journey. Now, what is your food for the journey? It's even greater than that. It's the body and blood of our Lord, right, for the forgiveness of our sins. And this is the life of faith. Coming to church is not just coming to church. It's to receive the gifts, the very word that points you to Christ in the midst of all that you're facing. Because you and I very well know, I especially know in myself, that though I study the Bible, though I give all these devotions during the week, all this stuff, Trust me, it's easy to depart from this. It's easy to be distracted, and, and there we go on our own way. And that's why the word is so important, to get us back, because we know the fragility of our sinful nature. All right, I know that was a lot of stuff. Right there, it sounds like the Micro Machines guy. Remember him, Micro Machines guy? Was that just me? Brent knows what I'm talking about. Brent knows what I'm talking about. I remember that. All right, so, um, when my sins condemn me and I am doubting, how can I be sure of my forgiveness and salvation? Um, if someone can read that for me real loud, right there. Answer. Anyone? I cannot and should not rely on myself in any way, my thoughts, feelings, words, or deeds. Rather, I can be sure because God, who has promised the forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake, always keeps his promises. I can be sure because Jesus has shed his precious divine blood for my forgiveness and for the forgiveness of all sinners, a sacrifice of infinite worth acceptable to God. There is nothing left for me to do or add. Jesus' blood has cleansed me from all my sins. 
I can be sure because God tells me that I am his and my sins are forgiven as the gospel is declared to me in the, word, in the spoken word, in baptism, in the absolution, and in the Lord's Supper. These words and promises of Christ are sure and certain, no matter how I feel or how badly I have fallen short of righteousness. This gospel is more than simple information. It actually delivers to us the forgiveness of sins and eternal life in Jesus. All right, very good. So I can be sure by these means that God has given to me in Christ Jesus. I love that. The gospel is more than simple information, right? And that's a deception in itself. Like, I already know that. It's like a book. I already know the ending of the story. So why do I have to hear it again? Because there, by the gospel, we are pointed back through the Spirit to who we are in the bullet, in the target, in the bullseye. And that is the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And that's the only thing you can be sure of in this life. Right? I can't be sure that the Angels will win the championship in 20 years. I don't know. It's getting a little down lately. I don't, maybe. I hope. Dodgers, maybe. There's a little more assurance there. But even then, you don't know. Right? Uh, and we very well know that what we can be sure of is Jesus. And that's what we need to hear until the end of time, is the words of Christ and his forgiveness for us. So come and hear the word. And when you come and hear the word on Sunday, on Wednesday, and you study the Bible, don't see it as I'm just going to, to, to gain some information. It's I'm going to rest. I'm going there to rest in what this world will not tell me, but what is sure and only certain that I ever will ever hear, and that is of Jesus in Christ and in him crucified. And, and that is our life of faith. So uh, God's blessing to you to say, why don't we uh, close uh, with a word of prayer. Dearly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the sure, uh, surety and confidence that you bring by your promise. Bless us in the faith. And though the evil foe may accuse and, and, and attack us, Lord, Lord, lead us by your spirit and your word. And bless us in your righteousness. Grant us a peaceable conscience knowing full well that we are covered by your sacrificial blood. Thank you, O Lord, for the gift of holy baptism and the supper that you give. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to this Bible study presentation from Faith Lutheran Church in Moore Park, California. For more information, visit us on the web at faithmoorpark.com dot com.